we were just in what you would consider a perfect storm. We were dealing with a pandemic and election year, and multifamily still was thriving. Welcome to the Real Estate Life Podcast. Today we have Winston Schofield, full-time investor in multifamilies with just over 500 units under management. We will discuss how to recognize great opportunities and why identifying whether or not there is a demand for housing is key before investing in, in any submarket. We will also touch on the current state of multifamilies and why multifamily housing isn't going anywhere anytime soon. All this and much more up next. Real estate investing is changing, but there are people evolving and thriving. In this podcast, we'll listen to their stories and hopefully learn from them. I am dedicated to creating a life where I can create multiple passive income and doing something I love along the way. To me, the most important part is doing significant work and create great relationships along the way. For those that want to invest in passive income multifamilies, email me at abio@abiobiestados.com. My name is Abio Biestados. I am a real estate investor and entrepreneur, and I want to help you live the real estate life. Welcome to the Real Estate Life Podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate Life Podcast. What's up, listeners? Welcome to the Real Estate Life Podcast. And today on the show, I have Winston Schofield. He is a full-time investor in multifamilies with just over 500 units under management. He owns properties in Gainesville, Texas, and Georgia, has a strong background in asset managing operations, and now has established the Georgia Group with a team of commercial real estate professionals. They focus on stable assets where they can redevelop properties in Texas, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, and Tampa. Welcome to the show, Winston. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Thank you for having me here. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. That Winston, you've done a, you've done a lot uh, in a very short period of time because you, you went on this venture of, of buying multifamilies in 2017. Correct. Yeah, that's correct. So can you give the listeners a little bit of your background, uh, your career, your path that your life has taken and and how you uh, have come about to this beautiful industry of multifamilies? Sure, sure. You know, um, I started off in the airline industry uh, for 29 years and, you know, you get an opportunity to travel and, and see the world. Um, of course, you get to meet a lot of interesting people when you're flying on the plane. You know, you get to chatter a little bit, um, which, you know, I've always had uh, an interest in, in knowing what people do for a living. Um, and what I've uh, come across in my travels is people are having time to see the world. And I try to figure out how are they doing this and still have a nine to five. <laughs> they didn't have a nine to five. This was happening through investments. Yeah. Um, so, of course, you know, you, you try and pick their brain. Um, a little bit to see, uh, you know, what those investments entail. Because I always knew investments was either stocks or 401k. Correct. Yeah. Um, but come to realize that you can invest in real estate and have more time for yourself and your family. So that started, to, you know, get my interest in knowing what's investing. And I did try, but um, I'm before I go deep into um my my beginnings uh i'll let you uh you know uh ask other questions because i don't want to go too far off uh, no no it's fine actually it's it's fine that you go back is that that way could you know uh listeners could connect with uh okay. you know your experience and, and how you got to where you got to it's 
you know, it, just throwing that number of 500 out there since 2017 just sounds just like a number, but we all know that that's not that easy to get to. Right. I know personally what. So I just, when I hear someone, you know, the three 500 units in three years, I just know all the headaches and, 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 the, and you know, and, and what you went through and all the time just takes for you to get there. So, yeah, yeah I, I, we would like to hear a little bit of your background and how you sure, got, got sure. into it. Yeah. You know, so it, it, again, it was a thing of investments in real estate. So, okay, uh, I'm hearing all about flipping, flipping homes. And, okay, so I, I tried my hand in flipping and I didn't see the upside in investments. This, that's too much hands-on to say you're passive because if you're not flipping, then where's the income coming in from? Uh, so I tried the flipping and that wasn't it. Uh, you know, okay, now I was trying to go into multifamily, but I went into quads, you know, um, assuming that I couldn't afford to do uh, larger deals. So I started off in quads and uh, realized that there really isn't a whole lot of upside in doing quads. It can buy and hold and, you know, reap some of the, the, the passive income off of that, but this wasn't enough to allow me to, to live the lifestyle that that passenger on the plane was talking about. Yeah. Um, so I, I need to educate myself on uh, multifamily on a larger scale. So I started attending a lot of networking events, uh, signed on with Brad Sunrock Group, uh, turned around and signed on with Dan Hansford Mentor Group, signed on with <laughs> Brian Chavis Mentor Group. So I'm just like a sponge trying to, to gather up enough knowledge and, and you know, know-how moving forward um and then just went for it um went for it first as an lp um to get some insight on what it really entailed i think the biggest mistake i probably would have made would have been to jump in and try and be a gp with no experience so it was a, a gradual step into an lp having an understanding of the industry and then going into a gp now let me ask you the transition from flipping houses to your quads to buying your first uh, apartment. Uh, what what was the length of that? Was that years? Was that months? Uh, it was years. Yeah, uh, it was years. Um, it was because um, I was still doing uh, a W two right, so my time was limited. Um, but in that time period of years. I spent at least uh, probably about a year and a half of just staying with mentors and networking events, educating myself, not wanting to move too fast because if you move too fast, you're going to miss something. Yeah. Um, so I really took my time. Um, and when I felt comfortable that it was time for me to make that transition from W-2 to full-time, I, I was confident that I had enough experience and knowledge to you know, get into that passive investment experience of, okay, I can be able to take trips and still pay my bills and enjoy life. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it seems that you were very calculated with this strategy. Um, it's, it's, it's a big responsibility to be a GP and, and manage and raise capital. It, so you, you were conscious about that. I, I do see a lot of some wild, uh, some wild people out there raising money and not doing correct underwriting, not getting the construction correct, 
And those are things that come with experience. I mean, you're playing with people's livelihood, their money. So right. yeah, you're very conscious about that. So that's why the, you have to go through that process to feel confident. And that process is what makes you feel confident when you're sitting in front of an investor and you paid your dues like you did and been on both sides, you were an LP. So you know right. it's what it is to be on that other side and what the GP is not doing correctly and right. what reports they're not giving you correctly. Right. So th that, that's something that you learn by being played on, on both fields. Um, what was, so what was your first uh, uh, GP big multifamily that you purchased? What was that deal at? That deal was in Gainesville, Florida. Gainesville. Uh, okay. Yes, and it's um, a massive deal, you know, to, for it to be my first outing as a GP, uh, you know, it's a massive deal. I mean, this is a deal that consists of 144 units plus a new development of about 264 units. Yeah. So, you know, the reward is um, walking in as a GP, doing a value add deal, which is like, a, this is like a combination deal here. It's a value add deal and a new development deal all in one. Um, and that's a rare opportunity yeah. to uh, walk in day one as your first time out as a GP. Um, but that didn't come overnight as it, it, it didn't happen overnight. Correct. And, and uh, I, I'm, fam I'm very familiar with the deal. Um, yeah, we, we met through uh, Lewis Becker. He's right. actually, uh, we actually did a podcast together. And yeah, that's an awesome deal you guys have there. Uh, he, we actually did a podcast where he explains about that the development you guys have going on in the back. That's going to be sweet. Right. Uh, yeah, that's a really nice deal. Um, there's a deal that you just closed recently. I want to congratulate you on that. On the Thank Augusta you. deal, Augusta, I always pronounce it right, in Georgia. Um, tell me how you discovered Augusta, Augusta I always pronounce that name, uh, in Augusta. Georgia, Augusta. How did, you, how did you find that specific deal? And why did you identify that market? Because that's that's uh, it's not in the city of Atlanta, which is the most popular city in Georgia, it's, but it's on the outer skirts. What attracted you specifically to that market? Wow. Okay. Well, you know, one, we were looking in the Atlanta market for over a year. I uh, mean, the numbers would not just pencil out. Um, and when you have investors are waiting on you and you, every time you go out to these, these, you know, trying to pencil out and it's not, after a while that investor is going to leave, he has to park his money somewhere. Uh, so that model of just trying to stay focused in that Atlanta market wasn't going to work for us. Um, Augusta is the second largest city in Georgia. So we figured let's study the market in Augusta, see what's going on. Um, follow the job growth. Uh, people follow job growth. So that's a, a plus. Um, so we started digging out, reaching out to brokers, um, came across uh, this last asset, um, which uh, we developed a, a pretty good relationship with the broker. You know, went to the, the typical going for tea and coffee, talking, getting to know uh, his, uh, I guess, his deals that he currently has in a pipeline and giving a better understanding of our business model, um, not just jumping in trying to sell ourselves. I think that's the wrong angle to take. Um, and he, you know, mentioned about a deal that he has come in the pipeline uh, in Augusta, um, gave us the opportunity to evaluate the deal toward the property and it seems like it fit our business model 
you know, it, you, you mentioned something there when you, that I want listeners to understand because it's something that's taken for granted because sometimes all we want to do is connect uh, through emails and through a phone call with brokers. Uh, the relationship uh, going out and trying to get in front of these brokers on a physical lunch, dinner, coffee. I mean, these guys are busy. These guys are being, yeah, there is a ton of people trying to buy deals from them. But taking the time and actually convincing them to even meet with you in person sometimes is a challenge in itself uh, because there's other big players doing that. So that's that's something that I I strongly believe in, that relationship that you created with that broker. Because now it's not just someone on the phone. Now it's not just someone sending an email of an LOI. Now it's now it's a relationship, and if right. you connect with that person in some way or another, then that that actually helps the process. Even if it's not that deal in particular, but now they know. All right, I, I like this guy. This guy's in the business. He's he you, you found a connection. Now he's going to give you another off market deal that he has. Right, right, and it's about relationships. Yeah, um, you know, uh, from just doing this last deal that we closed on in February, the opportunity for another deal is. Uh, coming up with the same brokerage firm from the relationship. There you go. There you it know? is. And, and it's not just a one-time deal. It's about how did you present yourself day one and how did you conduct business to, to get the asset to the finish line. Got it. Got it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Uh, how many units is this deal? This is 104 units. 104 units. What did you identify in this deal as soon as you saw it was the opportunity? Uh, where did you see it? Oh, on, on this, the, the, the part that really jumped out was the large upside in value add. Um, 98% of the units were in classic uh, shape. So that was a lot of meat on the bone that we knew we, it, this, this deal fits our business model. Um, and, you know, we knew we would be able to achieve it because of the market. Uh, going in, what was the average rents on those classic models? On average, rents were about five ninety six. Wow, that's extreme. Yeah, that's which low. is extremely <laughs> that's way low. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, when you see that, it's, like, it's, yeah. it's almost like this is a gold mine. You yeah, know? yeah. yeah. Uh, what is the pro forma rent that you feel you're going to get to once you start getting those units updated? Uh, about eight fifteen. Sweet, um, which is great. And yeah. also, oh, no, yeah. that's a, a large upside. Yeah. Yeah. We, we feel we'll be able to hit that target, you know, with a, with a strong team, strong property management team on the ground, we'll be able to make it. So j- just so the listeners can understand what type of, how, what type of upgrades would you do to a property like that? So you're taking it from a classic, you know, classic in our, just so some people understand the lingo, uh, it's probably a unit that's been outdated for over 20 or 15 years. So it, it needs a substantial about dating like uh, kitchen flooring. So what, what type of upgrades are you, do you need to do to get to those $800 uh, rents? Wow. Um, definitely change the flooring. Uh, right now it's carpet and, you know, carpet can get dated. Um, it's not the most uh, healthiest living environment having carpet all throughout an apartment, um, especially if they have pets and you have to always use a shampoo or, or change out the carpet. So we're going to change the flooring. Um, that's a must. Uh, change the paint scheme. Uh, right now it's a, a yellowish beige interior, which is not the end color. We all know gray, gray family is the, is the color. Um, we're going to change the light fixtures. 
Um, the, the kitchen, we're going to change the countertops uh, as well. Uh, we're going to keep the cabinetry boxes, but probably change the doors and the handles. Oh, you're saving a lot of money there. Right, I right. I like that strategy. Right. They have currently, there's all white appliances. We're going to change it to black mm -hmm. um, appliances. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we, um, we believe in, in going with that package. We'll be able to accomplish our target um, goals in no time. Yeah, so so with a value with with a with an update to the units that he just mentioned, uh, you could get a bump up of almost three hundred dollars in rents. That sounds like a home run to me, man. Because what you yeah. just mentioned to me is not it's nothing crazy. Uh, it's something that you could get in and out of each units and put them in the market immediately. Correct. Yeah, yeah that's on. Because what we did before we even figured that out, we you know we talked to the the team that's on the ground to find out if there's a demand for those renovated units. There's yeah. a high demand for those renovated yeah. units. Yeah, the outer skirts of our land are a hot man. Uh, I mean, Georgia in general, the migration patterns to Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, Florida, uh, you know, these, these states are booming. Texas, um, you know, that whole Sunbelt area, it, you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist to figure this out. You can just search and see migration patterns. It was interesting, U-Haul, uh, U-Haul probably has the most accurate uh, migration yeah. patterns, and they'll put out reports where people are moving to. Really right. interesting, yeah. You're really interested to see how, how many people are going into Georgia. So you're definitely on the right path. Now, uh, let, let's go into some uncomfortable questions. What, what would you say was the most difficult deal uh, or issue you had? And, and tell me how you solved that deal. Because everyone likes to talk about how glamorous it is, but what, let's get into the nitty-gritty. Well, give me something. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to get into any names or, or deals. Uh, <laughs> no, no name dropping. No name dropping. Know, <laughs> um, uh, for me, uh, I would say the most difficult and challenging deal was dealing with the seller. It wasn't the deal itself, it's just dealing with the seller, making it yeah. really difficult on uh, certain things yeah. that were needed. Um, and unfortunately, you know, you only know what you know. Um, you try and cover as much as you can in your documentation, but, uh, unfortunately, uh, we had a seller that was using some of those loopholes that wasn't addressed in the PSA. Oh yeah. 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 yeah I think, um, I, I, I remember, um, when we, we talk about seller nightmare deals, uh, yeah, you, you, you go into these deals and you try to get as much in, into your contract to protect yourself. Uh -huh. But when you really, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I've learned in negotiating deals that when you really want a deal, it's like poker and you really show that you're really hungry and you want this deal. Sometimes it bites you because the sellers are like, oh, it doesn't matter. I don't need to show them. These guys are getting these and they know they're giving you a good deal. So they start slacking on the documentation. But, but yeah. we still got to give documentation to our investors. It's our duty. That's we need right. to know what's going on financially. And some of these sellers, they just make it very difficult for us to do our job. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And some of them are just, some of them are just straight, just lie about numbers and figures, right. which is a common thing, which is a deal that me and you walked a long time ago right. that, you know, we discovered the numbers weren't accurate. Um, so it is, it, it, it is tough to deal sometimes with sellers. And uh, I, I get what you're saying. We've all been in those nightmare situations. Right. Um, how'd you how'd you get past that? How did you resolve it? Close the deal. 
<laughs> I said, close the deal. <laughs> you, know, um, yeah. you know, there's you're never gonna run into a perfect situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the numbers work, and you know, close the deal. Yeah, that's the best way to solve that problem. Yeah, it's a closer yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can't you, whine about it. You know, it's not going to change anything. Yeah. You know, getting upset, it's not going to change anything. Yeah. Stick to your plan. Yeah. Close the deal. How did you did you secure debt? Was there a bridge loan, or you went Fannie or Freddie for the beginning, or on this deal? We did bridge. You know, we had pretty you know pretty good terms with, with yeah. bridge. Um, you know, under four percent interest rate. Well, you got yeah, a bridge we, under four percent. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a yeah. really good deal. You no, know, uh, we have three year IO um, on the bridge, and I just recently heard that they're going right now. You can get a bridge at three and a half percent. Really, right Winston? Now. I, yeah, we're gonna have to get. Yeah, I'm gonna have to talk to you right after this podcast because we're not. I'm not seeing bridge uh, loans that that could close you quick on a. Well, your asset wasn't distressed. No, right? it wasn't distressed, yeah. but we didn't close as quick as we. Uh, as would like had, you know, we, we thought we were going to close in a short period of time. You know, we were up against holiday season and you know, it was Christmas time and then it was New Year's. So, but we didn't close in a short period of time. Okay. So that was, okay. you know, the one thing that we did learn, you know, that time of year, you know, people go on vacation. Yeah. 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 What would you say, uh, you know, just this, what would you say the state of multifamily is right now? I mean, I, I know you're out there looking at deals all the time because we we underwrite deals together. And uh, that's another side of the business that uh, that the only way you can survive in this industry is you got you to gotta look at a lot of deals. Right. So where do you see the, uh, the state of multifamily going forward, coming out of this COVID? Hopefully, we're coming out of it. Uh, where do you see it? Wow. Wow. Uh. It, you know, I, I'm gonna tell you from my experience or what what I see. Right, uh, COVID didn't change anything in multifamily. Uh, we, look, we looked at deals uh, pre-COVID, in the middle of COVID, and I can't really say post-COVID because we're still in the, in the midst of it all. Yeah. But uh, price points, no change. There was no COVID discount. <laughs> there was no COVID discount at all. So. Um, you know, to, in, in my view on that is that trend of multifamily still staying steady uh, is going to continue. Yeah. If COVID didn't shake it, and you know, yeah, it was a little challenging trying to uh, acquire debt. You know, you deal with some extra hurdles you had to jump over. Which is opening up. Right. But yeah. the, the multifamily space itself, you know, didn't really skip a beat. Yeah. So if it didn't skip a beat then, uh, it's not going forward anytime soon for what yeah. I see, yeah. right? And just, just to rewind a little bit, think about this. We were just in what you would consider a perfect storm. You were dealing with a pandemic and election year. And multifamily still was thriving. So now the uncertainty of the election yeah. is over. Uh, the pandemic, now there's a vaccine for this virus. Yeah, which has dropped. The numbers have dropped almost 50%. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think now we definitely can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, everything you just said right now is kind of solidifies what why we're in this industry and why we love it. Um, you know, if this was would have been a podcast about hospitality, that answer would have been completely different. Of course. It would have been decimated. 
we might not even be able to have a podcast. Um, so we're very fortunate that at the end of the day, people need a roof over their heads. Correct. People need a place just as much, you know, it's, they need to eat and they need a roof over their head. They don't need a hotel. No. They don't need that luxury. They don't no. need a retail space, but they do need to live under uh, in somewhere that covers their, their family. So right. that's the beauty about this industry. It took some hits. I would say that, yeah, you know, it took hits, a lot of stress on management to get the numbers to happen, working with tenants. That part, did I did see that. Um, uh, I did see some investors or syndicators got caught with their, you know, with their pants down, um, weren't well capitalized. So I did see some distressed assets come out because of that. Um, because they didn't raise the money adequately or didn't escrow the money. And then their investors have other businesses outside of multifamilies to stop funding, you know, CapEx, stop funding the rehab. So those investors did see it. But if you were well-managed, well-capitalized, you, this, this, uh, you should have been able to survive this without any issues. Right. And, you know, you, you have to buy right. Yeah. You know, uh, you, you have to buy right. And, you know, have that buffer. Don't try right. and buy on the top end. You have to buy right. Yeah. So, so Winston, uh, um, let's talk about some some bumps on the roads and some failures uh, that that uh, that you you know you've had in real estate. I can tell you about the ones I had in real estate. Uh, my my biggest failures were when we we're talking about flipping, uh, whereas overly leveraged and buying way too many single family assets with no income or cash flow coming in and. I always mention to uh, buddies of mine who are still in the industry flipping houses. I'm like, be careful, be careful, because uh, you know you're buying all these flips. There's no incomes, and you're buying all these single families. So that's one of my my biggest failures. And I always preach it: just be careful you don't over leverage yourselves with assets with no cash flowing. Can you give us some of the failures or one failure that you had, and you can mention to uh, to the listeners so they could uh, learn from that experience? Don't do business with family. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm not going to get in detail, but um, you, know, uh, you can't fire them. Don't don't do business with family. Uh, I can't go into detail on that one. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know what? Uh, um, uh, I, I, I do employ some family members. I can't fire them. <laughs> I, can't, I can't fire yes. them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a bad business deal. <laughs> Don't do business with family. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, man. I hear you. Yeah. Um, right. So <laughs> what, what, um, what advice would you give the younger Winston, the, the, the Winston before he got in and bought his first deal in 2017? What advice would you give that listener that's, trying to step in and he's dabbling in those fourplexes and duplexes and he's he wants to take the leap of faith he's watching these videos and he's what advice would you give that person ah uh, wow um everyone is not for you um everyone will not support you the ones you are looking for to help you will not help you uh Unfortunately, you know, um, everyone don't want to be your partner uh, unless you're able to add value. 
And when you are a newbie, how can you really add value as a newbie? You don't have the experience. You really don't have the knowledge. The only thing you're able to offer is your time as a newbie. You know, so. Which is precious. Right. You know, there's Most no precious thing we have. That. Right. Yeah. So as, a, a, as I would tell my younger self just starting out, you know, be willing to invest your time. You know, don't look for the uh, the pat on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, that investment is priceless because yeah. there's no price tag on your time. But don't give your time to anyone because not not everyone is not in position to appreciate your time. Yeah, worthiness of, the, of your time. You know, um, mm-hmm. some people will waste your time. Yeah, and my time, time, you know, have been wasted. Oh, time and time again yeah. you know, yeah. in this industry yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know uh, the younger me um, you know take take the time to vet people out because um, some people are not whom they say they really are um, they're not really doing it they're more so talkers than doers correct you know and when you're young of course you got to go down that road of finding out you know are they really doers or are they talkers? So, yeah, yeah, that, you know, you, you you said a lot of things there that touched the nerve in me too. Because I, I, you know, when I use I'll use the example of of SAR Apartment Capital when I created uh, when I approached my two partners in the industry, I knew that the one thing they needed help was was someone to help them out, and there was time. They needed someone to help them grow. They they were both, uh, you know monsters in their industry they, they were both really good at what they did but i knew that we could grow more if i gave them all my time and uh i agree with you on that but you have to identify people that are worthy of that and that's the challenge yeah. that's a challenge because you just do spend time away on people that are not worthy of it so i, I gotta say i got lucky and uh, obviously you did too also because look what you're doing now so. Yeah, but it was, you know, it was challenging, though, because I've given up, I think, probably too much time to individuals that were not worthy of my time. But yeah. that's just part of the, the yeah, experience. It's part of the process. You know? Yeah, that's yeah, part of the process. Now, Winston, um, everybody has a, a definition of, I've heard all types of different definitions of what financial freedoms mean to them. And uh, what, does, what does financial freedom mean to you? Hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. So, to me, financial freedom is today is what Friday. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, weekend, right? Let's say it's a Friday. Hopping on a plane, taking a trip to Miami or oh, you coming Puerto to my Rico, backyard? Yeah. Or you know Paris, uh, just to relax, just to get away. Yeah. Not having to worry about man. Now I gotta hit that clock on Monday. I can if if I'm in you know I'm in Puerto Rico and I want to stay an additional day I can yeah you know Uh, it's just having that freedom to go and do what you want to do and return whenever you want to return but from for our industry we can work from a cell phone or a laptop yeah technology lets us yeah technology will allow you to be wherever you want to be and still get the job done um, and not still having to balance out your checkbook yeah 
uh, I can't rent that luxury car. Let me rent that compact car. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I know exactly what you're saying. I have a wife that wants every, every weekend, has a weekend getaway every month. <laughs> I say yeah, that, that yeah. finances will yeah. allow you to do that. If yeah. your finances are not right, yeah. then you really you, can't do that. You know, it, you just mentioned something that it's one of the things that I love about large apartments. When I had the smaller assets, like you mentioned, the fourplexes and the duplex that I was self managing, when you have a large apartment, it runs on its own. Correct. You don't need to be there every day. It, it's it's a business. It's it's a business that runs on its own. It has its own property manager in house. Uh, it has its own maintenance. It has to be big enough where you could do all these things. Which right. Is a, which is a mistake that a lot of you know that you learn along the way of buying those small assets of fifteen and twelve units where you you know. It's, it's funny you would say that when I had smaller assets. You know, you have to be there. You have to be present, right? You, you really hands-on uh, more so than you would, you would even think of. Yeah. Now I'm boots on the ground for this deal in Augusta. I feel guilty because I feel like I should be there, you know, at least three, four days out the week. And be because of the size and it's not my role. Yeah, you don't need so, to. You don't so need to. So no need for me to yeah. be there, but I feel like I should be there. Yeah, so I yeah. do go there more yeah. than the norm yeah. <laughs> because it's in me to be it's there. It's all right. I get that weekend getaway. It's all right. It's running. It's running. It's not going to fall apart. Look, I, I right. came from the restaurant business. I, I, I had two restaurants. I've never worked so hard in my life. Mm -hmm. that, the, so this industry of multifamilies, oh, man, I love it. I love it. I just went to Costa Rica last weekend, and, just, and it, was a, it was a last minute thing, just like you said. And, it, and I knew that my properties were being managed correctly. Right. And, you know, another thing of having great partners, I knew, if anything, my partners took care of it because this is not a one-man show business. Right. This is right. not a business you could do on your own. You have your partners you rely on. So that's another beauty of it. But the deal's big enough where everyone eats. And that's why I love large apartments. I got that's you. Why right. I love it. Right. Winston, it was, a, it, it was a pleasure talking to you. You dropped a lot of psychology here and, you know, that touched the nerve in me. And I hope it, it, it connects with a lot of listeners. Uh, you seem very passionate with, with what you do. And, and I like that. It's, 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 it's contagious. Um, how can listeners get in touch with you? Where can sure. they reach you? Your email, uh, if you want to drop that. So, and then I'll also drop it in a link at the end of this podcast. Yes, you can, uh, you can reach out to me through my website, uh, group.com or you can email me at winston at com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, um, the two Georgiou group as well. So I'm all over that, the map, you know, yeah. um, my words yeah. open, you know, let's, let's connect, you know, uh, awesome. let's okay. talk. All right, Winston, thank you for your time, man. I appreciate everything you just dropped here. Oh, Thank man. you. You're welcome. Wish we had some more time. No, we'll set up another one. Your next deal, we'll do another podcast. Well, that's the next show, you know, right around the corner. Take Thank care. you. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Life Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to reach out to me, please go to my website, www.abiobiesteros.com.